Amen. Well, praise God. Here we are once again uh, in between Christmas and New Year's, December 28th for class number 19. And uh, we are excited about that. If I can get us swapped over here to the right, the right uh, setting on the computer. Well, praise God. Amen. We were having a, a great conversation here uh, in the room before we started streaming. So uh, God is good. Amen. Amen. And, um, you know, there's something about, I, I said this on Wednesday morning in the class, and I'll probably say it again tonight at the service and, and here, but there's just something about, you know, looking ahead to a new year and a fresh calendar and just, you know, God's a God of new beginnings and, you know, every morning His mercies are new and uh, just, you know, He's put so much promise and potential in us. The Bible says there's a lot of food in the ground of the lazy man. You know what I'm saying? Uh, in other words, there, there's a lot of potential that we all possess that we haven't really you know, maybe tapped into yet or understood yet. And, and I, I believe that this uh, new year is, is going to be a breakthrough year in so many ways for so many of, of you guys and, and for me personally. And so I'm, I'm really excited about it. I know, um, the, the, you know, I was thinking back to 2019, um, there were different prophets that were talking about things that would happen. I don't think nobody really specifically said a pandemic, but um, I know that uh, Brother Copeland, you know, the Lord just kept speaking to him that 2020 would be a year of, of change like never before. Well, I heard that and I thought, yippee, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I didn't realize some of the changes that would happen in our world uh, with the COVID pandemic and, and all those things. But now that we've got, you know, a few years past that, a couple of years past that anyway, and I think finally, hopefully anyway, putting most of that behind us, I think we just, anyway, it's just exciting. Despite what's going on in the world around us and, you know, crime in our area here is, is up and um, there's a lot of negativity, uh, but I think, you know, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Amen. So praise God. Well, listen, welcome. Let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you again for our time together this evening. Thank you for every person, Lord, that's uh, joining this class, either uh, live and in person, Lord, or, or through uh, the live streaming. I thank you, Father, uh, Lord, that you knew us before you ever formed us in our mother's wombs, Father. You had plans and purposes for us and gave us grace and purpose in Christ Jesus before time began. Father, I thank you that the more we learn of you, the more we, you know, understand your will and your ways and your wisdom, Father, the, the, the greater the sense of destiny and purpose that we are experiencing in our lives, Father. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. He's our advocate. He's our helper. He's here to lead us and guide us into your truth for us tonight. We submit to him as our teacher. I thank you, Father, that, that while I'm here as, as a vessel speaking, Father, that the Holy Spirit is working in, in hearts and lives, uh, connecting dots for people and revealing things to them. And Lord, I, I know that you can say more to people by your Holy Spirit than I could ever say to them uh, into, into their ear, Father. And so I thank you for that beautiful dynamic that's taking place, Lord, during this class time together tonight. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the gift of your son. Thank you, Father, for the gift of another day and, and Lord, the promise of a year to come. Lord, I thank you that, that 2023, we just go ahead and confess and declare that it's going to be the greatest years of our lives, the greatest year of our lives thus far. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Praise God. Well, let's go back to uh, the title slide. Again, this is class number 19. And we're going to continue um, on the subject, answering this question, what is man? And um, tonight we're going to finish uh, legal authority. That was what we started last week. 
that man is legal authority uh, here on planet Earth. And then we're going to begin uh, the next um, segment, which is uh, man as a being created in the, in the likeness and image of God. So let's do a little bit of uh, review. Um, as we've answered this question, what is man? The first thing we've said is that man is a God class being. And if you weren't here for that class, I mean, it's, I know that's kind of a, uh, an, an, a, you know, an amazing statement and maybe even one that some receive with you know, some measure of reluctance. But before you make a judgment on it, if you haven't heard the, the classes on that yet, please go do that. Man is a God-class being. Uh, number two, man is a spirit being. Man is a spirit being. The, nev- the devil never wants you to understand that. And I, and I just, as honest as I can be with you, I've, I've known that for some time, but it, it's still, even this many years in, um, renewing our minds to this. It's so easy for us to think of ourselves as a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience, but we're spirit beings experiencing a physical reality. And then number three, what is man? Man is the legal authority on earth. Man is the legal authority on earth. And so we talked about a lot of different things last week. Um, Some of the things that we said, you know, involving, uh, you know, the position that God put us in and that he declared us you know, as gates, as gateways. And we looked at different verses where God was looking for some human being on earth that he could work together with. We, we looked at the verses where um, Jesus in parable form explained that although the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, that he has given a lease, if you will, uh, to mankind and put us in charge here. And because of, of that, understanding and, and, and operating agreement that Father God has with us uh, in the same way that if you leased an apartment and, and the landlord uh, needed to come in and fix the plumbing, uh, they couldn't just enter without your permission. Even if they're coming into that uh, domain, your dominion, your domain, um, to do something for you, uh, they would still have to come with your permission even though they own the building. And that's a really good way, I think, for us to understand Uh, the way Father God wants to work in and through our lives. The earth is His, but He has leased it to mankind. He desires to help us. He has plans and purposes for your life and for this planet. But, you know, rarely if ever, and it's, it's very hard even to stretch a few cases to fit, right, do we see God working in the earth where He's not cooperating with or finding some human being, man or woman, that will work together with Him. So uh, we looked at the psalm where the Bible says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Um, you everlasting doors, and literally we are the gateway by which Father God gains access into the affairs of mankind, right? So we finished last week, and I want to I come back to this and, and build on it a little more because I think it's very important. And we call this section God's will and man's authority. So we, on one hand, we have the will of God and what He desires. And don't, don't, let, the, don't let this concept of the will of God, I, I know that's... Uh, uh, you know, something that's thrown around loosely, uh, and a lot of people don't really understand what that means. And so just to simplify it, um, what God wills is, is what God wants, is what God desires. It's, it's His intentions, it's His purposes, it's His plans. And so when we talk about God's will for your life, that just simply means that's what God wants for you. It's what He desires for you. It's what He wills for you. But as we said last week, you know, God has a plan uh, for you, what He wants for you. Uh, the devil has a plan, what he wants for you, and then you have a plan, what you want for you. And the idea that everything God wants for you automatically happens, that everything that happens was something that God magically wanted to happen uh, for you or in you or to you, 
The Bible does not support that. That's simply not the truth. But what we see on the other hand is that the will of God is something that has to be understood. It's something that has to be submitted to. It's something that, that has to be sought out. Um, and uh, we can certainly override what God desires for us uh, by giving into and going with our own desires, our own plans. And we see this all throughout the Scriptures. It's not, it's not like, uh, I think sometimes we don't think of it in that context, but you know, how many, for that matter, how many times have I, how many times have you, uh, God wanted you to do one thing and you did something else. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, the idea that just because God wills it to happen, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to happen, it, you know, that's, that's just simply Scripture doesn't support that. Things happen all the time. They're not God's will. And on the other hand, things that God does desire to happen uh, do not happen. And, the, and this is, uh, again, something that occurs uh, with uh, remarkable frequency <laughs> here on planet Earth. Amen. Y'all still with me? Praise God. All right, so maybe you remember these two points. And, and um, don't judge my English because I really haven't figured out a better way to say this. But, but when we talk about God's will and man's authority, the two, the two things, not everything that happens is God's will. Okay? And, and you know, that may on the surface sound, okay, yeah, I got that already. But think of how many times we hear people you know, just explain away some tragedy or some mystery or whatever as, as it just, you know, you never know what God's going to do or God's got a plan or, or, or what have you, okay? And then on the other side of that same coin is that not everything that is God's will automatically happens. So not everything that happens is God's will. Not everything that is God's will automatically happens, okay? Now, um, <clears throat> Ephesians 5 and 17, I think, was the last verse we, we looked at. And then I referenced Luke 19. So let's look at Ephesians 5 and 17, then we'll go to Luke 19, okay? He says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. But understand what the will of the Lord is, okay? So if, if everything that happened was, was the will of God, then there would be nothing to understand, right? There would be nothing to be sought out. It's just like, okay, that happened, and everything that happens is the will of God, so there's the will of God, there's the will of God. But again, there are things that happen that are not His will, uh, and so we've got to understand the difference. Think, think of the advantage the devil has in the lives of people who believe that everything that happens is God's will. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the, the, the devil can, can get away with so many things in people's lives if, if, if we think it's God's will when it's really something that the devil is trying to affect or impact or, or deceive or manipulate in our lives. Some, some decision, some temptation, some, you know, what have you. And so, you know, again, we, that would be unwise to think that everything that happens is God's will. Uh, wisdom, on the other hand, is the ability to distinguish the difference between what is God's will, what is the devil's will, and what is our own individual will. Now, let's go to, and, and these are some, listen, every verse in the Bible is, is, is precious so when I, when I talk about some verses as if I'm elevating them above others, it's, it's not because necessarily of their importance, but of their uniqueness. And so when we talk about like the conversation Jesus had with, John, with, with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, um, it, it's, it's precious biblical real estate because we really don't have anything, you know, we have things that confirm it in the Bible, but we don't have anything else like it in the Bible. Um, you know, the woman with the issue of blood, we have, what, three different, I think, gospel accounts, maybe four different versions of that. Uh, thankful for all of those. That ought to tell us something about how important, uh, you know, 
that event was, that miracle was, and there's a lot of details in that miraculous healing of that woman that we're to understand and learn from when it comes to receiving healing for ourselves. But don't get me started down that road right now. Um, so I would say the same of what we see in, in John 3. In, in a similar way, what we find in Luke 19, it, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's so revealing. It's so telling. And, and not just as it relates to the people that uh, experienced the things and, and lived these things, but what it says to you and me uh, today about God's will and how God's will works and, and, and the things that God desires uh, to see come to pass in our lives. All right, so let's go to Luke uh, chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. All right, so just to uh, orient you as to what's going on here, to provide some context, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. This is often referred to uh, in the subheading, the pericope, as it's, as it's, if you want to impress your friends, that subheading is called a pericope in Scripture. And those things were put in by man, but it's called the triumphal entry. Okay, When Jesus is entering uh, Jerusalem, and um, the people are shouting Hosanna, the waving palm branches. They're taking off their, their overcoats and laying them on the ground. And they're, they're, they're worshiping him as a king. And, and um, it, you know, don't forget that some of these same people just a few days uh, from now, or not even a few days, it's very, not too long from now, this event, they're going to be shouting crucify him away with him because they want him to overthrow the Romans and take an earthly kingdom instead of the spiritual kingdom that he came to bring uh, for all of us. Now, a lot of times we, we see this depicted as Jesus, you know, smiling and grinning and waving uh, to the crowds as, as he rides in, but that, that was not the reality. As a matter of fact, when it says he saw the city and wept over it, that is a, is a bit misleading. If you go to the original language, um, wept over it literally means that he cried bitterly. He cried bitterly. Um, it, it, Jesus was wailing on the back of that donkey. I mean, he, he was sobbing. Um, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, exaggerate this, but I don't think it can be exaggerated. Have you ever, remember when you was a kid and maybe even as an adult, when you, you, you cry so hard you start snubbing? <laughs> You know, like, you know what I'm talking about? Because you got your body needs oxygen, right? You're, you're expending so much oxygen crying. Your body's now just almost re reflexively trying to, to, to get some oxygen back in your lungs. Well, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to imagine Jesus was crying and sobbing bitterly um, like that on the back of the donkey, right? And, and so the question then, I guess, is, well, why? And, and he's going to say why in verse 42, saying, if you had known... So he's talking to the city as, as a whole. And he says, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So let's, let's, I'm going to try to walk you through this slow-like and just lay it out because I want you to see the whole picture here. All right. So Jesus is extremely upset. He, he, is, he is crying because there is a tragedy coming there, there is a, a, a horrific, unimaginable tragedy that's going to befall Jerusalem. And he is crying because it didn't have to be that way. 
He's saying, if you had known, especially in this your day, things that make for your peace, right? God's desire and will for them was peace. Peace is, you know, sometimes we think of peace as being the absence of conflict. But peace in the Scriptures is, is talking about so much more. Health and prosperity and well-being. And, and um, there's two versions, shalom and, and, and irene. We get our word serenity from the Greek word um, irene. And again, don't just think that Jesus is talking, you know, throwing out pleasantries here. He's talking about something, you know, very substantial that they're missing out on. Things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. In other words, things that Jesus wanted them to see that they never saw. Things that He wanted them to understand that they never understood. Things that He wanted to give to them, <coughs> excuse me, and for them to embrace that, that they didn't have time for. They were too busy. They, they, they were more in, interested in other things or, or what have you. Um, and so we see then that there's something that's going to happen in the future that Jesus was trying to avert. He was, he was trying to redirect them to a different outcome. But now that window is closed. As a matter of fact, listen, listen to what he says here in verse 43. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. So they had an opportunity. They had a, 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 a window, if you will, uh, of time to hear and understand and do and believe and speak and think differently that would have prevented and changed the future that was now, for the most part, locked in place for them. And this is why Jesus is, is, is crying uh, and, and so upset because he, he knows of uh, the, the, the devastation that is to come. Now, if you, if you understand and know your history, what Jesus was actually foreseeing uh, occurred in A.D. 70. A.D. 70. Now, I'm going to just kind of generalize some things here. Um, we often hear the expression B.C., 100 B.C. B.C. stands for before Christ. Before Christ. So the calendar in essence, counted up to his birth, to the birth, birth of Christ, and then started over um, once he was born. A lot of people think A.D. means after death, and, and that would kind of be a, a, an obvious choice, but that is not what A.D. means. A.D. means Anno Domini. It's Latin. And it, Anno Domini translated the year of our Lord. So this is 2022, almost 2023 A.D., the year of our Lord, because we know that Jesus right, lives uh, forevermore. So when we see Jesus at this point in Luke 19, again, rounding it off, he's uh, roughly 33 years old. He began his earthly ministry at 30, and then he ministered for three years uh, publicly before uh, he was crucified, buried, and then raised from the dead. Forty days later, ascended back to the right hand of his father. So A.D. 70 
we're, we're talking, again, I'm trying to give you a round number here. Uh, the calendars don't precisely line up with our calendar today. But when he was at A.D. 33 saying, you know, this was going to happen in A.D. 70, we're, we're, we're talking roughly 40 years, 40 years in the future. 40 years from that day. Are you following what I'm saying? 40 years from that day, 35 to 40 years from that day, Rome was finally going to have enough with the Jews and, um, and literally surround them in an effort to starve them out and weaken them and then go in and destroy them. Men, women, children, temple, buildings, architecture. I mean, it, it was going to be gruesome. It was going to be ugly, right? And there are a lot of folks who say, well, you know, that was the punishment, that was the judgment of God because they turned their back on the Messiah and crucified Him. Well, no, not exactly. Not exactly. The reason that they experienced what they experienced at the hand of the Romans was because they didn't listen to the things that Jesus came to tell them that would have produced for them an entirely different future for the one that was now waiting upon them. Are you seeing this? Man, this is... I don't know, am I the only one that this fascinates? You know, that, that, you know, God obviously has a different perspective on our lives than we have. He sees it all. He sees where we came from. He sees where we're going. He sees where we are right now. He sees how we can get to where he wants us to be from where we are right now. He wants to lead us and guide us by his Holy Spirit into these things. Um, and so in this passage, let me, let me kind of settle in here for a minute. In, in this passage that I just read to you, um, we see past, if you had known, right? But obviously they, they don't anymore. We see present, but now are hidden from your eyes. And then we see future, days will come upon you. Past, present, future. If you had known, but now they're hidden from your eyes, days will come upon you. Now, what we, of course, see here, and let's not overlook this, um, what's going to happen in A.D. 70 is clearly not God's will. This is not what He planned. This is not what He wanted for His people. So much so that among the earthly assignments of Jesus, one of His assignments was to go in and try to get wisdom and truth uh, planted in these men's and women's hearts that would have prevented all of this from happening uh, in, in, in the first place. All right? So, do you see the point here? Things... Um, happen every day that are not God's will. This wasn't God's will. So much so that Jesus, God in the flesh, right, is, is trying to, uh, to prevent this from happening, trying to stop this from happening. Now, there's a phrase here, the time of your visitation. The time of your visitation. I'm, it's, this is a little wordy. Matter of fact, I'm going to put it up on the screen, okay? The time of your visitation is speaking of a strategic, unique, and highly significant period of time. A strategic period of time in their lives, a unique period of time in their lives, and a highly significant period of time in their lives. Okay? Now, I almost feel like all trembly inside every time I come to this point right here. Because whether we understand this or not, whether we understand this or not, every one of us, every one of the, uh, every one of us, are in a strategic, unique, and highly significant period of time in our lives. Am I right about this? 
Am I right about it? I want you to think about that now, okay? Um, and and, and, and that's, that's true for me. That, that, that's true for other people. Uh, um, you know, they're watching in other countries. Um, and, and so I'm not trying to just single any one particular group out, but this is our 19th year of doing this class, and for 18 of those 19 years, uh, there have been men and women who've attended this class who have committed themselves to a residential uh, recovery program. And if there has ever been a strategic, unique, and highly significant period of time in your life, are you following what I'm saying? And, and, I, and I, so, I so desperately want you and me and all of us to understand that, okay? Whether you're starting a new career, whether you're starting a new uh, uh, course of study in college, whether you're in a recovery program, whether, you know, no, no matter where we are, Father God is, is wanting you to recognize the time of your visitation. In other words, what He's trying to do for you right now, what He's trying to reveal to you right now, what He's trying to, to, to help you understand and see that you haven't been able to see up in this point in your life. Because if we will work together with Him and humble ourselves and allow Him to show us and, 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 and help us to see these things, it will literally have impact on our lives and, and has the potential to even rewrite the future we will live in 35 to 40 years from now. That's amazing, isn't it? The other, the other part of this, and I guess you can probably tell I've done a lot of time meditating on these verses, all right? But, you know... The, the lifespan of people in those days, you know, was not half of what it is. Um, even in developing countries in, in our time, especially here, you know, in the United States, um, you know, I forget what the, it's in the 70s now. Um, it was rare in those days for people to live that long. And so, you know, Jesus is talking to people who basically snubbed him and didn't have time for him and wouldn't listen to him and wouldn't do what he was trying to tell them that they needed to do. And, and these folks are going to, you know, they're going to die in their sleep. But it's going to be their children and grandchildren who are going to be dealing with some of these uh, devastating things that are going to happen. So it's not just that God's trying to do something for you today that will make things different for you down the road, but he's trying to reveal some things to you and me today that'll make things better and different for our family members and, and other people that we have influence and impact over in the days ahead. Now, I, um, <clears throat> I taught these things one time and, and the next class, there were a couple of people and it was obvious they had been talking and, and listen, I, you know, but they came back really frustrated by, by all of this and they're like, you know, um, how could God, you know, uh, allow that or cause that or, or what have you? Well, I mean, clearly the scriptures is, is, is showing that this was not God's will. This is not what God uh, chose or a allowed for them, right? And so this is what I, I want to make this really important point because this helped me, um, and, and, I, and I pray that it will help you, all right? And that is... God knowing something in advance is not the same as Him making it happen. Are you seeing this? I mean, obviously, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He's prophesying, you know, He's revealing what's going to happen. 
And he's weeping because they did not uh, know the hour of their visitation. They, uh, things that would have made for their peace, but now they're hidden from their eyes. All right? So there's that, there's that aspect of it. You know, just because God knows that it's going to happen as an all-knowing God, that's not the same as him causing it to happen. And, and, and what we do see, just the opposite here, is God, God knew this was going to happen, and, and yet he still sent Jesus uh, time and time again down to the temple. I, I don't know if you've, how many times you've read the Gospels, and this may sound really silly to you, but, you know, I used to get really frustrated with Jesus. He kept going down there to the temple, and they kept trying to kill him. They, they tried to stone him one time. They tried to throw him over a hill one time. You know, they, they, they would mock him and, 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 and uh, laugh at him and try to ask him questions that nobody could answer. And, and, you know, I'm like, Jesus, man, do you not get it? These folks, these folks aren't interested in you. They hate you, right? But after the Lord began to reveal to me the, 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 the understanding of, of what we find in Luke 19, is now it makes perfect sense. He kept going back down there, even though they rejected him and laughed at him and mocked him, mocked him and, and what, even tried to kill him because he's, he is desperately trying to get truth to these men and women that will make a complete difference in, in, in their whole situation. Now, there's another aspect of this that I think is important for you and me to also understand. And it's what I call the Joshua and Caleb exceptions. The Joshua and Caleb exceptions. And what we know, Joshua, Caleb being the, the most notable, if you're familiar with their story, um, God said to, the, to their generation that, n- that no one in their generation would enter into the promised land because of their unbelief, because of their stubbornness, because of their hard-heartedness, because of their rebellion, because of their refusal to listen and, and, and learn the lessons that God needed them to understand. And even in that, even in that, right, God can only take you as far as your trust in Him will allow. Where God wanted to take them into the promised land in their best life, there were people over there who hated them and wanted to kill them. And the only way it was ever going to work is if they learned how to trust God and follow God and do what God said over there. Well, those people didn't learn those lessons, so they never qualified They never learn to trust God. God can only take you as far as your trust in Him will allow. And so we do see, though, that Joshua and Caleb in that generation, right? They did get to go to the promised land. They were the exceptions. So Jesus and and all that, that He, you know, He's weeping over Jerusalem but there were exceptions in Jerusalem. Are you following what I'm saying? There were people in Jerusalem who were spared. There were people in Jerusalem who were saved. It's because they, they did not miss their hour of visitation. The, the things that would have made for their peace weren't hidden from their eyes. They received it. They embraced it. They, they began to, to do what Jesus instructed them to do. And because of that, they were preserved. Amen? Amen. So in, in the same way, Jesus talks about all these things that must come to pass on this planet before the end comes. Right? And when he says it must come to pass, you, you, I, think, I think like the whole COVID pandemic thing, right? Jesus said we would see things like this. He said we would see things like this, all right? So if it, if it must come to pass, right, <laughs> that doesn't mean it must come to your house. Do you see the difference there? What's, our, what's, what's the example? The example is God's people in Egypt when the plagues, when, when God's judgment was being poured out on Egypt, 
right? This is one of my favorite ways of saying it. The whole land of Egypt was covered with a darkness, a darkness that was so thick you could feel, but the lights were on in Goshen. There was, the difference there was God's people, God's people, God's true people, right? They, they were the exception to what was going on all around them. And I think this is part of God's plan because we are the light of the world. Jesus said that you are the light of the world. And the darker it becomes on planet Earth, the more brilliant your light is going to shine. And, and, and the more things go uh, in, a, in a wrong direction here on planet Earth, uh, the more obvious it's going to be, right? Uh, the, the people whose God's, God's hand is upon, the more obvious it's going, it's going to be. The, the difference is going to be telling. Are you hearing me? Right? When we have peace and joy and rest and prosperity and health, when the majority of the world does not, amen, folks are going to want to know what's going on with you. Amen. I, th I think that's part of it. Whew. All right, I'm, I'm going too far down that, that road, all right? So why pray if everything is predetermined and is going to happen no matter what we say or do? God is not a puppet master. And again, what does it say about him if he knew the events of AD 70 and sent Jesus to them over and over again anyway? What a, what a loving, merciful God, right? So we can rest in understanding that Father is going to hold nothing back to save a man, a family, a nation, even if he knows in advance that man, family, or nation will never be saved. How about that? I'm going to say it again. We can find rest in understanding that Father is going to hold nothing back to save a man, a family, or a nation, even if he knows in advance that man, family, or nation will never be saved. Amen. I don't know about you, but I want to be, the, I want to be one of those exceptions. Amen? Amen. All right, now, let's go to Luke chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And I believe the Holy Spirit... Uh, ordered it this way because he ultimately gave inspiration for these scriptures to be written. And we see the second side of this coin also as it relates to Jesus speaking to Jerusalem. And he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing." See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right, so what, is he, what do we see here? What's the point? The point is, not everything that God wants to happen actually happens. And here we see that God was willing to take Jerusalem, his precious chosen people, under his wing like a mother hen protects her chicks. But why did that not happen? It didn't happen because they were not willing. Are you seeing this? Was God willing to do this? He absolutely was willing to do this. But did it happen? No, it did not happen. Why did it not happen? It didn't happen because the people were not willing. Man, I, just, I want you to see this. I, I know you probably saw it 10 minutes ago. Are, are you picking up what I'm putting down tonight? This idea that, you know, well, if, if God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. You just might as well get ready. <laughs> See, again, he, he's not willing that any should perish. But people perish all the time. His desire for Jerusalem was for them to be very close to him, very near to him. And yet they chose to do something different. Right? 
By the way, the, the verse, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, I'll put it on the screen. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God's will is that none perish and all come to repentance. But people refuse to repent and perish by the thousands every day. All right? Now, let's go to James chapter 1, verse 17. James 1 and 17. Praise God. I'm going to break this down for you uh, as, as uh, simply and as best as I know how. And I, I believe this is going to really, really, really uh, help you. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. So I'm going to give you this verse in the New King James Version. But to be honest with you, I prefer the King James on this one. And I'll give it to you in King James as well. <clears throat> I hope my voice isn't. Um, annoying to you. Amen. I'm, I'm powering on through tonight. Praise God. I do feel much, much better um, than I did last Wednesday. Woo. Man, last Wednesday I was, I was struggling up in here. So anyway, all right. So James chapter 1 verse 17, let's look at it. It says, every good, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. All right, so let's, let's just kind of break this verse down. There's a, one section that I, really one word more than any other that I want us to focus on here. But let's break it down. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. This means every good thing that has ever been in your life, that is in your life right now, or that will be in your life um, in the future, has come from a single source. It's come from God himself. Okay, Every, he didn't say some, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights. And then it says, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Let's break down shadow of turning, okay? Shadow, shadow of turning is referring to a sundial. Now, they didn't have wristwatches and, and, and things of that nature. Um, they used uh, the sun to tell time. <coughs> and if you're familiar with how a sundial works... Uh, it's, it's, it's a dial like a clock. It has a, a triangular shape thing that protrudes out of the top of it. And it's positioned in such a way as for the sun to shine on it. And the shadow of the sun will tell you roughly what time it is. All right. But when the sun is what we would call at high noon in the sky, um, you know it's 12 noon because there's no shadow of turning on the sundial. Are you seeing this? There's no shadow of turning, meaning it's at its highest point and peak possible. So when it says that with God there is no shadow of turning, this means that he never has a bad day. He's never been in a slump. He's never, um, uh, you know, not been at the top of his game, all these different euphemisms, things that we, we say, what have you, okay? In other words, he's always, come on now, God is always at his highest and best. God is always at the peak of his glory. God is, is always, he never sleeps or slumbers, never has a bad day, never takes a day off, never needs to get some rest, never is under the weather, never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. Are you hearing me? Amen. He's always at his highest and best. He's always at the peak of his glory. With him, there's no shadow of turning. Now, why, why is that standing uh, next to or alongside this idea that with him there is no variation or shadow of turning? All right, I'm glad you asked that. Let's look at the same verse in the, in the King James Version. 
In the King James Version, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness. Variableness. So King James Version takes variableness and, and says no variation. The King James Version says no variableness, neither shadow of turning. All right? So <clears throat> the reason I like the King James Version better is because it, it really helps us connect with what this, this verse is, is communicating to us, the truth of this verse. And the, and the truth of this verse is that you hold all the variables in your life equation. All right. Now, who remembers in math when they started putting letters for the alphabet in our mathematical equations, right? I was like, what are y'all doing? This doesn't belong here. Okay, of course, this was what? Basic algebra. And, um, and so here's a real simple uh, mathematical equation. 10 plus x equals, and if you'll notice, the answer's left blank because the answer is ultimately determined by what x equals, right? Because x in this equation is the variable. X is the variable. So if X is 3, then 10 plus X equals 13. If X is 23, then 10 plus X equals 33. All right? Now, X is the variable in this, in this equation, but there's also another term for the number 10 in this equation. Anybody know what that, what that term is? It's the constant, right? It's the constant. So in your life equation, God is the constant, Right? He's, there's no shadow of turning with him. There's no variableness with him. He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are you, are you seeing this? He's who he is today, and, he's, and, and the same it, it will be tomorrow, and the same last month. Amen. Are, are you following what I'm saying? There's no variableness with God. See, we, we try to blame God for the different outcomes in our lives. But it has nothing to do with God, per se. It has everything to do with the variables. So in your life equation, this will help you if you will come to this conclusion. In your life equation, you hold all the variables. Not some, not most. You hold all the variables. There are outcomes, there are consequences, there are results for every choice we make. God is the constant in your life equation, how you respond to Him, how you respond to what He has said, how you respond to what He has done. All of these things are variables that determine the results uh, or the lack of results that you experience in your life. Come on now, if, not that we're going to do it, but if, if you could get that one part right there, we could just shut this class down and go home. It'd be worth, it'd be worth getting out on a, on a Wednesday night just to hear that part right there. This is so huge. And this is the part. This is why we, we were, um, some were talking about uh, Brother Hagen uh, before um, a class tonight. And, and um, believe it or not, somebody, not in this room, but had said something to somebody in this room, negative, about Brother Hagen, and, um, and uh, you know, there's been a lot of negative things that people have said about Brother Hagen uh, over the years, and um, if, you know, if you know anything about him, he refused to read um, any newspaper article about him himself, whether it was something, you know, praising him, uh, touting him, or uh, negative, he, you know, and when people would bring it to him, uh, he, he wouldn't read it, and they would say, but they said this about you, and he goes, man, that's a shame, you know. Let's go get some pizza. He, he wasn't moved by those things, all right? Um, praise the name of the living God. But 
Part of why people resist what's often referred to as the faith message, okay? I want you to get this. I want you to get this really clear, okay? Um, one of Brother Hagin's uh, many understudies uh, is one of my favorite Bible teachers. It's, a, it's Brother Keith Moore with Moore Life Ministries. And, um, and Brother Keith Moore says it this way. He says, people are looking for a no-fault religion. And what does he mean by that? He means that they're looking for some version of Christianity, some version of Christianity where they assume no responsibility for their own actions or choices. They either want to blame God for everything, or they want to blame the devil for everything, or even some hybrid of God and the devil working together, even though the Bible clearly says they have no no fellowship with one another, no operation with one another, right? But but notice it's 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 very convenient, right, to just blame God and or the devil or both for everything that happens in our lives and never take any responsibility for the consequences uh, of our own actions and our own choices, all right? But see, the Bible's very clear about it. He who comes to God must believe that God is and must believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, what you have to understand about God is while he loves us all the same, he honors those who honor him. So when we talk about our life variables, okay, your willingness to honor God with your life, with your substance, with your increase, that's a choice. Everyone has the opportunity to honor God with their substance, with their increase, with their life, with their choices. Some people choose to insert honor God into their life equation. Others choose not to do that. But God is not being unjust for rewarding someone who diligently seeks Him and not rewarding for someone who chooses not to seek Him. Are you following what I'm saying here? That doesn't mean God loves one more than the other or He's somehow being unfair, right? But God has spelled it out to us in His Word, right? If you give sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you give bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Notice, God is the constant. He is all increase comes from God. Amen? God gives the increase. God gives the increase. But God cannot increase seed that we never give or we never plant. Are you seeing this, right? But So if you choose to plant a whole bunch of seeds, amen, the God of increase will bring increase from every seed you plant. If you choose to plant very few or no seeds, then you have not given the God of increase anything to work with or increase in your life. But to say that He's not fair, again, that's, that's inaccurate. Amen. Every person in this room... Every person in this room knows somebody who could benefit from being in this class right now tonight. Maybe you even invited them. Maybe you even tried to get them to come, all right? But they chose to do other things. No, no judgment here. No judgment here at all. Are you understand what I'm saying, all right? But, but when you choose to come and sit under the Word of God for two hours, while somebody else chooses to take a nap... Or watch Netflix or whatever or whatever it is. Are, are you understand what I'm saying? The, all these things are variables. All these things are variables, right? So 40 years from now, when your grandchildren are somewhere in Africa getting a thousand people born again in one service, because you are you, are you understand what I'm saying? Well, you know, you should never understand God, never know about God, never know what God. Listen, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, but He is a constant in our lives. Amen. And what he does for one, he'll, he'll do for, for others. He'll do for all. Amen. But, but we can't 
leave out the importance of our response. Amen. Are you following what I'm saying here? How we respond to Him. That's, that is, I mean, you, you could basically sum all of the variables that you hold. You hold all the variables. And, and basically it comes down to how are you going to respond to God, who He is, to what He said, to what He's done, to what He's asked you to do. Um, and so, you know, I think I said this several classes back, and I'll say it again. When I began to understand this, it, it was a glorious day for me. I mean, I was like, you mean there's actually something that I can do to, to grow and to learn? And, and, and there's attitudes that I can develop, and there's time that I can, uh, can sacrifice, and there's commitments that I can make, and things that I can subject myself to, and even leaders that I can submit myself to. And, and all these are my variables, right? Nobody's making me do it. I, mean, I, can, I can either choose to do it or I can refuse to do it. But you mean to tell me that there are things that I can do that will actually give God greater place and opportunity to work in my life and through my life? That was a wonderful day for me. But it's, it's, it's been amazing to me all the people over the years that I've tried to teach that to. It was not good news for them. It was not good news for them. Because they would rather sit back and just say everything that happens is God's will. And, and if it happened, it was God's will. If it didn't happen, it was God's will. And it's not our place to ask. It's not our place to question. It's just our place to... Now, see, again, that's not, that's not how this works, not how any of this works. Remember what I told you last week? Things are better when we pray. And they're not when we don't. See, prayer is a variable. You know what I'm saying? Prayer is a variable. The words that you speak out of your mouth, these are variables. You can speak positive, healthy, faith-filled words. You can speak uh, negative, unhealthy, uh, doubt, unbelief, uh, words, variables. Variables, right? Remember what we learned, that angels hearken to the voice of God's word and we're the voice of his word, and they hasten to perform his word, and they're just waiting for you to say something so they can you know, kick it into gear to start producing that in your life. What are you giving them to work with? What, what are you saying? Amen. So we can just go on and on with this. All right. So outcomes, consequences, results for every choice we make. Life, life is choice driven. That, that almost sounds like new age. You know, it's like, where's God and all that? Now listen to me. Let me finish. Life is choice driven. A series of choices, a series of choices is what, what got you, what, Wound you up here. I don't know how to say that, right? <laughs> Amen. A series of choices. Life's choice driven. Amen. That's why it must be spirit led. Must be spirit led. Right? Life's choice driven. So it must be spirit led. God's the constant in your life equation. You hold all the variables. Somewhere on your list of New Year's resolutions or whatever you're thinking about for 2023, might want to might write somewhere at the top of that page, I hold all the variables here. Because 2023 could be the best year of your life so far. And it can also be one of the worst. <laughs> and you say, well, you know, hope it's God's will for me to have a good year. It's his will for you to have a good year. It's his will for you to have a good life. He gave you purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. Right? It's just how, how are we going, don't, I mean no disrespect by this word, but how, how are we going to play the variables? How, what are we going to do 
with the time, the talent, the treasure that we have. Amen? All right, now. <clears throat> this is one of those sections that, well, it's important. I'm going to do it anyway. I, I always kind of pause when I get here, all right? Um, because I'm not trying to confuse you, and I'm not trying to, um, to split a hair, and I'm, I'm not trying to be divisive or controversial. Uh, I'll, I'll, I will never, that's my, now, maybe when I was younger, 15, 16, 17 years old, you know, I, I didn't know any better, and that would be a part of, of my preaching and teaching. But I, I, the Lord helps me with that. I, that's, I have no interest in that anymore. Um, and so that's not why I bring these things up. I, I bring up things like what I'm fixing to bring up because the devil makes his living in the shadows. And there are certain attitudes and mindsets that we have that may seem insignificant on the surface, but in the, in the long run, they are extremely important for us to get straight in our hearts and in our minds and in our thinking. Amen? Amen. All right. So the, the, the title of this section is Sovereignty versus Omnipotence. Okay? Sovereignty versus omnipotence. And you have probably heard it said, if you've listened to very much Christian radio or contemporary Christian music, streaming, however you listen to your Christian music now, you've probably heard it sung and said that God is a sovereign God. Okay. Well, not so fast, okay? Because the reality of it from Scripture is that God is not sovereign, but He is omnipotent. And there is a vast difference, okay? So God is not sovereign. He is omnipotent. Now, sometimes when people say God is sovereign, what they really mean is that he's omnipotent, okay? And all right then, <laughs> but let's say what we mean and mean what we say because words have meanings, amen? Words mean something, all right, okay? So the scriptures say in Revelation, for, for example, 19 and 6, and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. All right. Now, this word, this compound word omnipotent, omni means all, and potent means powerful. So God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful, and He reigns on an omnipotent throne. In other words, a throne that rules over all. He is an all-powerful God who rules over an all-powerful kingdom. Now, how many times do you think the word sovereign is used in the King James Version of the Bible? Not once. You won't find it in the King James Version, nor will you find it in the New King James Version, and many other translations of the Bible. You will not even find the word sovereign. Now, that may come as a surprise to you, maybe not. But we hear the word sovereign in conjunction with God 
used so frequently and so often that you would think there would be multiple references in the Bible that refer to God as being sovereign. And in some of the more modern translations where you find the word sovereign, you'll find that it was added for uh, impact or it was, um, it was actually a mistranslation. All right? Now, let's talk about why this is important. What does the word sovereign mean? Sovereign, okay, king, that would be one. Sovereign speaks of someone who exercises supreme authority in a limited sphere. Okay, all right, you with me now? Sovereign speaks of someone who exercises supreme authority in a limited sphere. The United States is a sovereign nation. India is a sovereign nation. We don't tell India how to run their country, and India doesn't tell us how to run ours. Ukraine is a sovereign nation. Russia is a sovereign nation. Russia is now trying to conquer Ukraine and bring Ukraine into the sovereignty of Russia. If that happens, and I pray that it doesn't, but if that happens the new larger geographical Russia will still be a sovereign Russia and they will not tell us how to run our country here. The, the, what's the king of England now? Wow. Been long, I never, hadn't been able to say that in 19 years, right? It's been over the queen of England, right? The king of England now. And obviously there's monarchies a little different. They have the prime minister and the house of all that stuff. I don't exactly fully understand all their government. But but nonetheless, the, the Queen of England is not the Queen or the King of England is not the King of the United States of America. Are you seeing this? Okay. So that's what we mean by sovereign. Sovereign speaks of someone who exercises supreme authority in a limited sphere. A sovereign nation would be a classic example. And autonomy is a key factor. Don't let me bore you with this. We're going somewhere with this. Autonomy is a key factor in determining sovereignty. In other words, autonomy is the right or the ability to self-govern. So we, we govern ourselves here in, in the United States. Our neighbor to the north, Canada, they self-govern. We don't govern Canada. Canada doesn't govern us. We don't govern Mexico. Mexico doesn't govern us, even though we're, we're connected geographically. They're a sovereign nation. We're a sovereign nation. Mexico's a sovereign nation, and they have autonomy. So autonomy is a key factor in determining sovereignty. Autonomy is the right or the ability to self-govern. If you look closely then at the definition, God is omnipotent, and you are sovereign. See, we keep trying to say God is sovereign. God's not sovereign. God's omnipotent. You're sovereign. Meaning what? Meaning you have been given by an omnipotent God the right to self-govern. You have, come on now, are you still with me? You have supreme authority in a limited sphere. Meaning what? Meaning you live your life however you want to live it. I mean, there's consequences to every wrong choice. And have you noticed by now that one bad choice limits the number of choices you have remaining. But nonetheless, so when we talk about omnipotence and sovereignty, 
You are sovereign in the sense that you are autonomous. You have the right to self-govern. Okay, God is omnipotent. And the key to life then is to surrender your sovereignty to His omnipotence. Help us, Jesus. I'm, I'm not pausing because I don't know where to go next. I'm just pausing because I'm not sure we need to be finished with that yet or not. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not trying to be controversial here. Um, but to say God is sovereign would be to say that he only has supreme authority in a limited sphere. He's, he's God overall. There's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Okay, all right. So in, in that particular usage, it wouldn't be exactly wrong. There's what are you saying? I recognize, but, and this is, you say, well, is this unrelated to what we've been talking about? No, it's completely related to this. Because how many times, how many times do people answer something they don't understand, some tragedy, some whatever, they just say, well, you know, God is sovereign, you know. Right? I mean, shake their jowls, you know, just sovereign. Right? Yeah. So God is a constant. We hold all the variables. He's omnipotent. We have the right to self-govern. But when we maintain control of our own existence, we usually fly our lives into the side of a mountain. So I'm going to take my right to do whatever I want to do with my life, and I'm going to surrender that to Him with His help to the best of my ability and let the omnipotent God who knows all, who sees all, who's everywhere present, right? I'm going to let Him lead me and guide me into the life that He created me to live. Do you see the difference there? Yeah. All right. Now, thank you, Jesus. So God's will is often incorrectly thought of as whatever happens. We've said this a few times already. We must instead understand his will as something to be sought out and surrendered to. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 12. I spent a little more time on this than I thought I would, but I believe we're doing what we need to do. Okay, are you getting anything out of this so far? Yeah. All right. So Romans chapter 12, um, verse 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Okay? So notice again, there's instructions there. Living sacrifice <laughs> before God and the reasonable service. He, he's talking about your rational worship. He's talking about, um, I've heard it said, and it's not a wrong it means more than this, but it certainly includes this. It's the least you can do, right? Everything that God wants to do in you and for you and with you and through you begins with you showing up. Showing up is one of the most powerful variables you control. Just showing up. How many times, how many times, come on now, think with me. How, we ought to learn by now. Let's learn from this in case you've never noticed it. Let me connect a pattern for you, okay? How many times have we been tired? I don't think I'm going to go tonight. I don't think I'm going to get up in the morning and go to church. You know, it's been a long week. I need my rest. You know, we're just dragging. It's like, you know, it's like all of, all of hell itself is trying to keep us from going. And, and, we, and we punch through that, and we show up. 
And, and we're and going home, we're like, oh, I'm so glad that I did. Okay, all right. See, again, we hold the variables here. God, God had a window of opportunity. He had a moment of visitation, a strategic, unique, and highly significant opportunity for you to take advantage of, to be a part of. As Brother Copeland says, one word from God can change your life forever. That's why the devil doesn't want you to be present when the word that you need to hear to change your life forever is being spoken. Showing up, right? Showing up. Praise God. So that's what it means to be a living sacrifice. I like to say it this way. A living sacrifice becoming living proof of a living God. All right, now, number, verse number two. So that was verse number one. Verse number two says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, that you may prove, that you may prove. Prove it to God? No, that you may prove it to yourself and to others, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay? Now, <clears throat> I'm not exactly sure where the three-point sermon originated, okay? But it's kind of one of those, you know, if you go to somebody teach you how to preach, right, they're going to teach you more than likely how to preach homiletically, hermeneutically, in three points, all beginning with the same letter, blah, 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 okay? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because it helps us remember things, all right? But um, because of that, there are certain things that fall so nicely into a three-point sermon, and this is uh, the low-hanging fruit of a three-point sermon, right? The good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And how many sermons have I heard in my life and for that matter, in my early years, did I preach that there were three different levels or degrees of God's will? That, you know, you can be in His acceptable will, or you can do a little better than that and be in His, in, in his good will. But if you really want to be a fanatic, you could be in the perfect will of God for your life, okay? And, that, and so we preach this in increments and degrees, and never mind that it says good, acceptable, and perfect because they evidently didn't put acceptable in the first slot where it should have gone, and blah, 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 okay? Well, let's forget all that. There are not, there are not three degrees or levels, you know, of progression in God's will for your life. God has one will for your life. And the words translated into English, good and acceptable and perfect, are all adjectives. Anybody, anybody remember what an adjective does? <laughs> it's a, it's a descript, it's, it describes an object or a thing. And so they're all three adjectives describing the will of God for your life. Okay? And so the word good is a very... Uh, Interesting word. I'm going to make it simple for you. It just simply means that which is well-pleasing. That which is well-pleasing. That which is, that is satisfying. Um, you know, a lot of times we, we think that in order to be in the will of God, we're going to have to do something that, that's not going to be satisfying for us. That's not, that's, you know, we're going to have to sacrifice any chance of, of, of happiness and joy. And we're going to have to do this horrible, burdensome thing that, that we're just going to be miserable in. But we're going to do the will of God. No, that's not how it works. The will of God for your life is well-pleasing. Let me simplify it even further, okay? You're going to like it. You're going to like it a lot. All right? It's well-pleasing. The word acceptable in the original language, it means that which is beneficial. Beneficial. 
The will of God is beneficial. Anybody understand benefit? Yes. <laughs> you receive benefit from something. It means, it, it means that, you know, good things, um, it's worth your while. That's another way of saying it, all right? There's benefit. To, to, the world needs to see that there's, there's benefit for living for God. Amen. So the will of God for your life, it's well-pleasing, it's beneficial. And then this word perfect, this word perfect, we think perfect means without error, you know, that, oh, that's perfect. No, perfect is the Greek word teleos, and it literally means full circle, or let's say it this way, make more sense to you, all-encompassing. It's all-encompassing. So the will of God for your life is well-pleasing, it's beneficial, it's all-encompassing. Let me put that up on the screen, okay? The well-pleasing, beneficial, all-encompassing will of God. I'm going to say that a couple more times, all right? You need to hear it. You need to, need to settle in, okay? Because this is what we want, right? We want the well-pleasing, beneficial, all-encompassing will of God for our lives. When we say all-encompassing, what does that mean? It means there's no area, no aspect, no facet, whatever word you want to use concerning your life that, doesn't, that God doesn't have a plan for. All-encompassing means um, your career. It means your marriage. It means your family. It means your education. Your emotions, the all-encompassing will of God for your life. Nothing's left out. If it's all-encompassing, that means everything's included. Even details and aspects of our lives that we think God, you know, really, you know, could care less about. No, He has a plan. He, he has this, this uh, uh, what He desires for you. And remember now, what He desires for you is what He created you for in the first place, Right? In other words, there's a reason why you enjoy math. You know what I'm saying? And not, that's not me, right? Okay. There's a reason why you enjoy poetry and writing poetry, writing songs. You have these gifts and talents and skills and ability, and, and you come alive when you're, when you're participating in these things. Those grace gifts, those gifts, those graces, God gave you those things. They're clues to your purpose. They're clues to your destiny. The well-pleasing, beneficial, all-encompassing will of God. He says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing, the reconditioning of your mind so that you may prove. Prove. Living proof. Amen. There, there, we, we, we commented on this, I think, in class on Tuesday. and it's, you, know, you wouldn't have to be in many classes where I wouldn't say something similar to this. But when we talk about something being proven to you, proven to you, that's when you have done it God's way consistently enough to experience for yourself the benefit from doing it God's way. And if you, if you can ever get over that learning curve or over that hump, so to speak, right? Um, see, I, I could teach you everything the Bible says about tithing. And so much so that you could write a book about tithing and, and teach other people about tithing. But you're not ever going to know tithing until you tithe consistently. You follow what I'm saying? And, and, and that, see, that's the part the devil never wants you to connect with. He never wants you to do it God's way consistently enough and long enough to begin to experience God's results in your life. Because once, once you experience in your life reality the benefit from it. I don't embarrass my nephew Joel, but his, his, uh, he's a tither and his dad was... Was, was trying to talk to him about tithing. He's like, Dad, look, I don't, I'm not being disrespectful, but I've already experienced it. 
I mean, you know, <laughs> you, know I mean, I, you couldn't talk me out of it if you wanted to. Right? Not, not, he, was trying to talk, he was trying to explain it to him. He was like, I'm, I'm all in. Right? Why was he all in? It's because he, he's already experienced the benefit of it. And once you, once you taste and see for yourself that the joys of salvation actually are greater than the, than the pleasures of sin, see, then the pleasures of sin aren't nearly as appealing to you as they once were. The well-pleasing, beneficial, all-encompassing will of God for your life. This is, you know, there's lots of reasons why, as much as Father wants us to be with Him in heaven, there's lots of reasons why he, we remain here on this earth. We've got a job to do. We've got an assignment. We're part of the family business. All those things, right? And part of that goes back to, to the tie-in that we made earlier, is that this world needs to see people living for God, having the joy of God in their lives, having the peace of God in their lives, having the, 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 the benefit of doing things God's way, Living examples, living proof of a living God. Amen. All right, let's, um, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's, let's go here. Um, as it relates to the will of God, this is one of the most important things that I believe Father God's ever taught me about His will, and I love to teach this to other people. It's the difference between what the Lord said to me concerning his macro will versus his micro will for my life, okay? So the macro will of God, the micro will of God. I was at a unique um, period in, in my life. I, I had just started um, college at UAB. To be honest with you, I, did, I didn't want to be there. I knew that God had called me into the ministry. Um, full-time ministry, pastoral preaching ministry. Um, I wanted to be an evangelist. I wanted to travel and preach, but I just knew in the back of my heart that really wasn't from what I was going to be doing. It's what, what I'm doing right now. I think maybe in some of my later years, the Lord will open up some doors for me to travel more and speak other places. But that's, I'm, I'm open to that if, if, if He you know, would open those doors for me. But anyway, praise God. I love what I do. I, I love to... Uh, to connect with people, relate to people, like people to have my cell phone number and, and, and call me if they need me and, and I need them. And, you know, it's, amen. It's just the relationship and fellowship that's associated with pastoring is, is, is a beautiful thing. But, again, I, I was at a place in my life to where, have you ever heard the expression paralysis through analysis? You know, I, I was so afraid I was going to do something to miss the will of God for my life that I, I basically wasn't doing it. I was, I was afraid to date somebody. I, mean, I know it sounds odd, but, you know, I could date somebody, fall in love, marry the wrong girl, my life would be ruined. You know, it's like, you know, I, it's just all of that, you know, and, and I sweated over it. I mean, like, like fasted. I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying I just fasted over it and, and agonized over it and, and, um, I had this little thing. I kept a, I kept a log, like um, there was this young lady that I was uh, dating at the time, and, and um, I kept a log of how many minutes I talked to her on the phone to make sure I didn't talk to her more than I talked to God. I mean, I, I'm not saying I was right. I'm just saying I was, I was just, I was weird about it, okay? <laughs> and I was struggling with it, and, and um, there were doors that would open, and I, was, I wouldn't go through them because I was afraid it was the wrong door, and and, um, and so I just, I was just, 
I know God in his great patience and mercy, you know, I just constantly, oh, God, what's your will for my life? God, show me your will for my life. I mean, just that was basically the, the, the extent of my prayer. And, and, Lord, wisdom. I'd always ask him for wisdom, and then I'd, what's your will? Show me your will. What's your will? Show me your will. And I, I can take you to, well, I can't anymore because my mom and dad finally sold that house. But my little bedroom in the house that I grew up in, uh, my mom and dad got me a roll-top desk. And uh, that little room was so small, you could, you know, the bed was up against one wall, and you could kind of get in between the bed and the, and the desk. And, and um, that's where I kept my Bible and all my legal pads where I studied and wrote notes. And, you know, I was at that desk praying and just, you know, again, just so immature. I'm not trying to act like I was some spiritual giant. I was just really, really immature. And, and the Lord got my attention. He spoke to me very strongly. I was 15 years old. He told me, he said, um, he said, in five years, he said, you'll be married. And then five years after that, you'll have your first child. It'll be a girl. Her name will be Bethany. And he had my attention. I'm just telling you, he had my attention, right? <clears throat> and what he showed me that day was when I said I wanted to know his will for my life, what I was really wanting were those kinds of details. I was wanting specifics. Or let me say it another way. I was wanting to know the micro will of God for my life. Do you understand the difference between microbiology and macrobiology? Microeconomics, macroeconomics, okay. The big picture versus the small picture. I wanted the details. I wanted the small picture. <clears throat> and so, I, again, no disrespect. It was like the Lord in his infinite wisdom, he threw me a bone. He wanted me to know that he knew. He wanted me to know that he knew, okay? But then he showed me something that changed my life. He said, if you will do the parts of my will that you know, I'll make sure you never miss the parts that you don't. Okay? And he said, if you'll do the parts of my will for your life that you know, I'll make sure you never miss the parts that you don't. And what he began to show me was, I know this sounds like, when I say the macro will of God, okay, do you ever have to ask God if it's his will for you to sin? Do you ever have to ask God, God, is, would it be your will for me this Saturday night to have fornication? Uh, God, would it be? No, so you, don't ever have, you don't ever have to ask him that. I know that it is not his will for me to do, are you following what I'm saying? Do you ever have to ask him, God, would it be your will for me to go to church this Sunday? What about Wednesday night? You know, is it? No, see, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. You don't ever have to ask him if it's his will for you to pray. You don't ever have to ask him if it's his will for you to study to show yourself approved. You don't ever have to ask him if it's your will to fellowship with other believers. You don't ever have to ask him if it's your will to volunteer to, to serve and help. You, you follow what I'm saying? All right. And so that was what he began to show me as, as the macro will of God for my life. The things that I knew, things that I knew were his will. Clearly things that I, that I understood about his will. And that if I would set my focus on doing those things, that was, that was the way to not miss the specific things, the, the details. Now, so, here, so here's another example. See, the Lord knew when I was 15 years old that when I was 30 years old, you follow what I'm saying? when I was 30 years old, that he would lead me to start a church in the showroom of my cabinet shop about three blocks that way. 
But at 15 years old, I haven't even bought my first saw yet. Now, not long after that, I did buy a bandsaw because I like making things and building things. And slowly but surely added, and it's a long story. Um, but see, if the Lord had told me when I was 15 years old, instead of in five years you'll be married, five years after that you'll have your first child, her name be Bethany, you know, um, <laughs> then, you know, if he'd have told me that, you know, you're going you're gonna to start a church in your cabinet shop, I'm like, cabinet shop? I'm going to have a cabinet shop? Are you for real, God? Because that was nowhere, I mean, that was nowhere on my radar ever, right? But what would I have done at that point at 15 years old? I'd have dropped out of school and went and found me a cabinet shop to work in. I gotta learn how I gotta learn how to build cabinets. My whole life and future destiny depends on me learning to build cabinets. I don't know how to build cabinets. I never built a cabinet. See again, right? And it would have thrown everything off. The path and the things that I needed to learn from 15 to 30. Are you seeing this? But the Lord knew. He knew. Do the part that you know to do. And he'll make sure you never miss the part that you don't. So when it came time, I actually should have, Heritage Christian Center was born in 1998, first Sunday, June 1998. It should have been 1995. And I had two different, I'm not making this up, I had two different people, unrelated, come to me. You need to be pastoring businessmen, businessmen. You need to be pastoring. Um, I'll pay the expense. I can't pay your salary, Mark, but I'll pay the expenses of the building if you'll just be the pastor. Oh, no. I could never do that. Uh-uh. No. Because everybody I knew that had started a church had some axe to grind. They were mad at somebody. They, they wanted to get back at somebody. They were trying to split a church, all that stuff. And I said, no, no, I couldn't do that. Another man came to me, unrelated to the other man. You need to pastor so much that I, mm, ah, no, it's not for me, man. I'm sorry. I can't do that. Because you know, I, at that point, I'd been through a lot of things. I was through with ministry. I, I was going to be a wealthy businessman. I was going to finance world missions, and I was going to follow the mercy of God for not doing what he called me to do. That's just where I was. I was hurt. Anyway, I'm not trying to make you feel sorry for me. That's just where I was at that time in my life. And um, so <clears throat> we carried on with the cabinet business. But it's on a cassette tape somewhere in one of those offices over there when I explain this in greater detail. But we tend to think of God's will or, or the timeline of, of God's will as being linear. It's not. It's cyclical, right? And, and in 95 when I said no, what I didn't realize is that it, three years later he brought me full circle back around again and the opportunity I said no to three years later, I had grown, I had learned, and in 1998, it came up again. Not Those men had nothing to do with it, although one of those men um, was a part of this church, and he and his wife uh, actually gave the church uh, a piece of waterfront property in Punta Gorda, Florida, that we sold uh, for $175,000 and bought this property here to build this, but that's, amen. But... Um, so even, I guess the point I'm trying to make uh, is, you know, we, we can say no to God and he'll do everything he can to try to bring that opportunity back to us. When Jesus, thank you, Holy Spirit, 
Praise God. Let's go all the way back to Luke 19 for a minute. Okay? In, in, in those days, Jesus had a very limited time. Right? He had a three-year window. Now, he's back over in eternity. We're the ones with a limited time. Are you seeing this? Okay. So, if you look back on your life at things that he was trying to direct you towards at one point in your life and you said no to it, he doesn't say, well, if you don't want to do that, then just, no, no. He's like, okay, well, let's, let's just keep trying to bring you back around. Now, sometimes we may not make it back around. Thank God his mercy, you know, um, here I am again, face to face with it again. And amen. The rest is story still being written, I guess. Amen. So, as odd as it may sound, I, I kind of forgot about the whole, not forgot about it. I don't, I, when I, I'm reluctant sometimes to tell, and rarely if ever, just in here, I guess now is about the only time I talk about five years from now, you'll be married five years later, you know. Um, but I married Pam um, July the 10th, 1987, and uh, my daughter Bethany was born July the 20th. 1992. I mean, even it wasn't like I was like, okay, now I've got to, I got to meet somebody here and at least date them for a year. To get, you know, I didn't try. I promise you, I did not try to manipulate any of that. Even, even our daughter being conceived, we married young, um, and we wanted to wait a while before we had children. Um, we married young because I thought I was going to Virginia to seminary. That wasn't what the Lord had for me. Um, and so, anyway, I probably need to put a fork in this and call it done for tonight. But y'all, amen. I'm rambling now. Amen. So, the macro will of God. Amen. God doesn't expect you to know all those little details, but He does. And if you'll trust Him, Amen. If you'll trust him. Part part of my thing with with pastoring is, and it's, I look back on it now and it's it's laughable. But at the time, you know, when I was a full time youth pastor, I would work thirty hours a week trying to come up with one sermon a week. <laughs> it was like, you know, I told I told I told the Lord, I said, Lord, there's no way running a business that I, you know, and I said, well. You have to trust you to, to, to give me the, what you want me to say to your people. And um, then the devil said, well, nobody will come. And, and that one, you know, that bugged me for a while. But, you know, I said, you know what? I said, my wife and two children will come. You know what I'm saying? So, so um, Amen. But the night before our first service, he's in heaven now. It's a gentleman named Tom Roberts. Him and my dad and my brother, and there's probably a couple of others there. I don't think your dad was part of us yet. I think he came a little bit later. Um, but they laid hands on me, and Tom Roberts prophesied that every sermon I preached would give birth to three more. And because um, he didn't know what I was struggling with, you know, how would I ever come up with that many sermons, you know? 
and um, but that's the way it's been, you know, since June of '98. You know, every every sermon has been. Uh, we started. I was going to teach on prayer on Wednesday nights because felt like a young church we needed that, and um, so I did that the first Wednesday night. Then the second Wednesday night. Uh, that afternoon, I had pretty much the sermon ready to go, but I was reading in John chapter 2, and the Lord began to speak to me from those first 11 verses where Jesus turned the water into wine. That was the beginning of miracles. And I thought, man, that's just so the things the Lord was speaking to me. I said, well, God, I'm going to preach that tonight. We'll get back to the prayer series next Wednesday night. And um, it was 156 sermons later. I think three years later that we stopped preaching out of those 11 verses in John chapter 2. And um, what the Lord showed me is that that was where Jesus began and that if we wanted to be successful, that's where we needed to begin. And, um, but he was also showing me something through all that that I needed to see and understand, and that's the depth and the richness of his word, that, that you could take one verse and never exhaust. You could preach on it until Jesus comes back and never exhaust all the wisdom that's in one verse of scripture because it's living and powerful and so um, here we are even when we started this class 19 years ago we did it in a little room back there and um, somebody said you know when we finished they said well are you going to do it again next year and I'm like well, who would come I'm mean, I still you know they're like well I would like to take it again I said well I mean if y'all want to come we'll do it you know I'm sure I'll do it you know and, of course, you know, here we are. And I quit asking that question, I guess, eight years ago. Who would come? You know, just, somebody's going to come. Amen. And then I found out during COVID that if nobody came, we could still do it and people would watch online. So, amen. amen. Thank you all for letting me uh, ramble a little bit, okay? But, but God is good. Amen. God is good. And he's got a plan for your life. And you hold the variables. Amen. amen. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for revealing your truth and wisdom to us tonight. Thank you for helping us. Lord, understand the importance of showing up, the importance of doing what we already know. Don't even have to ask. It's your will. And, Father, how those things from a humble heart are so necessary as far as you being able to lead us and guide us in the pathway that you would have for us. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, what you have done, what you plan to do uh, in us and through us, with us and among us, both here and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Know that you love. Thank you for being here tonight. Good things coming. Happy New Year to all of you. Amen. If I don't see you before, um, it's going to be a great one.